Well, good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, your host for this 805 Conversation, where we talk to fascinating people you'll want to know better. If this is your first time listening, thanks for coming. The 805 Conversations podcast is produced every other week. Please subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming shows. Our show is sponsored by California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services. Thanks to them both for their support and continued encouragement. Thanks to my podcasting partner and co-host, Patrick, from Pullstring Press for this great studio. Hey, Patrick, good morning. Good morning, Mark. You know, uh, I think I scared you earlier off air. You know, we're pretty soon we're going to have 200 of these shows in the can. If you had said that to me when you first came in here, you know, when I interviewed you on my show and you said, hey, you know what, how about in, in three years we'll have 200 shows, I would have looked at you and be like, yeah, I, I, I don't know that I can tie that down for, th- I don't think I could be here for three years. That's a big commitment, Mark. <laughs> this is one of the biggest <laughs> commitments I've ever accidentally <laughs> stumbled into, so... Well, I talk about commitment. We have a guy who drove two hours to come see us that's, this morning. That's real commitment. Uh, Dan Weeks, who's uh, the entrepreneur in residence at the San Luis Obispo Hothouse. We've had Judy. We had yeah. Judy on in our we first love the year. Hot house. We yeah. love the Hothouse. And Cameron Weiss mm-hmm. uh, is the, um, he's one of your superstars up there and was the producer of uh, TEDx Cal Poly last year. And I was his coach for that. Uh, that was fantastic. Dan, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I, uh, I, so I know you spent 25 years at HP. Yep. And in the, you know what I loved about HP, and, and as, as I've talked to people who work there, is the HP way. Yeah. And we talk about culture a lot on the show. And, and I'm in this conversation, like, what is the culture of a company? How, t- tell me how big a influence the HP way that thinking had on you as an employee there and the people you worked with? I think it really formed my attitude toward things like management by wandering around. I love that. Yep. Yeah, yep, where yep. You, you catch people doing something right. <laughs> you know, a Ken Blanchard thing. Um, I think with HP, especially in the early years, it was just fun. Yeah. They were very, yep. very selective of who they hired. Um, but I think the whole idea is if you give people some amount of guidance, they will, ex- they will exceed your expectations if they knew what you want, but you don't tell them exactly how to do it. Mm. And I think that was something that's just foundational for me going forward, that if you micromanage, you're doing too much work yourself. Huh, there, our show's over. Thank you so much. And, uh, <laughs> call it good. That's, we got that's it. our T-shirt, if you might. Yeah. We'll call no, you're episode. exactly right. You know, that that's exactly it. But the people who listen to the show are at various levels of their career in, in some aspect of the business ecosystem, yeah. right? Um, and you as entrepreneur in residence, uh, I know what that is, but why don't you explain because the, the tag for that is the EI, you're the EIR yep. up there, and that's a, a very common role inside a venture firm as well as to have that. It's typically some guy who's been there, done that. Yep. Now let's have them in-house. So why don't you explain what that is to the, to the sure. listener in maybe Finland who, who <laughs> doesn't know what that is. So what the Slow Hothouse does is provide a location where people can go with ideas and convert those into real companies. And it takes time to do that. So we have a mixture of people that have won contests at Cal Poly. Last summer, we gave away 85,000 in cash toward teams. We've had a few winners on the show. Yeah, but we also have a large co-working area where people can pay the hothouse, it's around $200 a month, and then they can have 24 seven access with an office downtown. So. I think the key thing the EIR does is really works with teams that need additional direction, mentoring tied to their individual issues. And often what it is is connecting. It's, I see what you're doing. Do you know this person? Mm -hmm. Because as an EIR, I'm a generalist. And to some degree, you want to know, oh, now that I know what you want, there's two other people that I think could really help you. Have you heard the phrase that when you hire a consultant, it's not hiring them for what they know, 
but who they know. I think it's totally true. It's true because, you know, it's the thing about when you have someone come and they hit the one spot on the appliance and it works, they knew where the spot to hit on the appliance. They call that Fonzie. Fonzie effect. When you Fonzie it, that's where you... Well, it's, it's like the anesthesiologist. All their training is for the 0.001% of the time where it comes right. to bear. Right. Right. And they say, why did you charge me so much? Because I knew where to hit. Yeah. Right. Um, what's the difference between an EIR and a mentor? Mentor is part of it. What else is it? I think um, EIRs in general are also involved, um, for example, in entrepreneurship at Cal Poly, I'm involved in a lot of the classes. It really is a more broad area of where can I help entrepreneurship. And that actually led me for the role that I'm doing with the County Office of Education with Tech Apprenticeships. Because my view of EIR is also economic development. Yeah, It's yeah. not just individual startups, you know, because startups it's risk and high risk, high reward. But a lot of what I'm doing with the County Office of Education is I'm creating tech employees in parallel mm. with helping creating tech companies. And if you do both, you're going to get – it's kind of like a portfolio. One's a bond <laughs> and one's a stock. So I like that. That that's really interesting because the and I'm going to guess the our students are the bonds that long term yep. investment yep. right that you have, and it it also plays into the 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 metaphor that I have in my head around hot house. I love hot house. There's we have so many of these that kind of place yep. around right, and I'm very deeply involved in that on a lot of different levels, but I love the hot house name because it uh, uh, appeals to my. Um, being an orchid guy, yeah. right? It's so it's it's growing. So it feels like the hot house with as it applies to students, yeah, is where that work is going. Tell me what the the biggest challenge is in the county board of education. It's the county office of education in in that work that you're doing. So with tech apprenticeships. Um, the County Office of Education, Dr. Brescia, who's the County Superintendent of Schools, got a grant from the Community College Foundation to do apprenticeships, but not for trades, but in tech. Oh. And when they got the grant, um, I said, well, let me help, because this is a funded startup. They have a million and a half dollars to create 50 it's just apprentices. An edu, it's an edu startup. Yeah. That's got it. completely funded. So as an entrepreneur, when I think I don't have to focus on fundraising, I can just add value. Right. It's wonderful. Right. And so what we did is we followed the entrepreneur process of first doing customer discovery. Before we right. started it, we listened. Yeah. And be what helped is with the title of entrepreneur in residence, at least companies would talk with me. Because hmm. I wasn't someone from the county office of education. <laughs> right, sure. Because no, of course. You, so on a, that would be an inhibiting thing, right? If you walked in and said, hi, I'm, I'm from the bureaucracy. Well, if you're, a, if, you're, yeah, if you're a CTO on a tech company and someone from the county office of education, they assume it's a K through 12 thing. Huh. Oh. And what's nice, what Dr. Brescia did is he thought of this apprenticeship as economic development. Because our average apprentice um, is 31 years old. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And the re and what's great about it is, so in customer discovery, we listened to employers, and I had to talk with them from the CTOs for about thirty minutes before they really loosened up mm. about what keeps you up at night. Right. Yeah. Before no, sure. they realized you weren't going to ask them. Yeah, because it took them thirty minutes. <laughs> well, but I think a lot of what happens is EVCs often do surveys. And oh, EVC. Economic Vitality Corporations, you know, the groups that are really trying to grow business. the business, yeah. they send surveys out to HR people or to CEOs, and I'm a tech guy. I want to know what the head of the tech guy is really concerned about and what they told me over and over again. I want people with a great attitude who aren't afraid of tech. And so what we did... That's not what I would expect them to say. Well, I'm not trying to get four-year degree people. Right, yeah. I'm getting, like, more AS 
kind of people. But you would think that the detective person would say, I, I want somebody with a high-functioning programming skills and coding. and MIT. It, it yeah. flipped. It flipped because they said, we want people that everyone else wants to work with. <laughs> which is obvious. <laughs> which is obvious after the fact. But I heard it over yeah. and over again. And so what we did is our little tagline is we screened for attitude and we trained for aptitude. There you go. Yeah. And it went viral and slow. We had 940 people apply for 30 slots. <laughs> that's, that's, that's. So let's say that <laughs> we screen for attitude. Train for aptitude. That is firefighter style. Like, like when, you know, when they put up a, a job listing for a firefighter, they'll get 3,000 applicants for one. Yeah. You know, like 900 applicants for 30 slots. And so what we did with our grant money, which is novel, is first off, we paid people $70 a day because if you have a dead-end job, yeah. and this is 14 weeks of training we did. So we paid them $70 a day to get $6,000 of training. And then at the end of the 14 weeks, we placed people at Amazon in tech that never would have been in tech because we did. They wouldn't have made it through Amazon's HR process. Nope. But what we did is we did industry standard certifications and not community college classes. Because when you anchor it to industry standard, because that gave us credibility that right. you actually did something over those 14 weeks. Right, right. Because if you looked at the person's resume, it had no correlation to tech. Mm. So no, no, exactly. That's the point. But, but what you were doing, you were screening for attitudes. So yeah. you were – so, okay. So let's go down that path for just a second. So now I'm, you know, uh, a guy who's looking at my career and saying I'm 32 – you know, I, I read this thing, this ad, or however your comms are to get mm -hmm. people the awareness campaign. I go, huh, maybe I'm the right guy for that. And now I, I'm sitting with you. I'm guessing you interview people because if you're screening for attitude, what's your what's the secret weapon that you use? And maybe this is an HR trick we can pass along to our listener. So in our first cohort, um, which we're just now almost com done with placing all of, of our apprentices. 100% placement? Uh, we have, our goal was 25. 25%? No, 25. People in the cohort. Yeah, and we've already placed 23. Awesome. And, Congratulations. And none of these were in tech before. So they're all, all new. All and we've placed people at Diablo Canyon Cybersecurity, um, the new cyber training center at Camp Slow. At Amazon, at startups. So when we, so we both have a friend in common, Mike Manchek, yep. who's been on the show, uh, was was actually the, um, God, the I don't want to call him the Godfather, but he he was the guy in the very beginning of 805 Connect, of which this is an outgrowth. This this whole show gave me the support and the gravitas and the connections to do what we're doing. But he had said at the time that the challenge in San Luis Obispo County, and listener, get out your map and go look for San Luis Obispo County. It's Beautiful. surrounded on Beautiful three place. sides by mountains and the mm -hmm. fourth by the ocean, and it's kind of away from everywhere, and they've had to learn how to be self-sufficient. And, and tech has found this place in a big way. Yeah. And because you've also got a fantastic university there with Cal Poly, great engineering school, an entrepreneurial school. So this notion of how do we grow our own. That's the key right is there. exactly it, right? So I've been blessed. My previous analytics company sold last year. And my focus going forward, I wanted to have a goal in social entrepreneurship. So my personal goal is 1,000 additional people in tech before Diablo Canyon closes. Right. Now, so explain to our listener what Diablo closing so, is because they're probably so not. So Diablo Canyon is the only nuclear power plant left in California. Um, it will close in seven years. And when it closes, it'll have $1 billion of impact to San Luis Obispo County per year. Per year. Per year. In negative impact. Yes, because they have 1,500 employees who on average make $150,000, $157,000 a year. <clears throat> so, we have to start right now. So, Mike Manchek's big focus is what do we do to replace what Diablo Canyon has meant to our county yeah. in terms of tax revenue for schools? Sure. And to me, I think tech 
is huge. So I'm the chairman of the Computer Science Advisory Board at Cal Poly. We can, you know, try to place more Cal Poly people locally and not have them go to the Bay Area. But in parallel, what can we do to grow our own tech people so that the tech companies don't have recs that are open for four months? Right. They can do it quickly. Right. And it's a, and it can lead to a head of household job. Um, so that's why Mike and I are really good buddies because he knows what we're doing with slow partners and our apprenticeship is economic development. Right. We talk all the time about, about bringing new, because we're constantly in conversation with business uh, owners about bringing new employees to environments like slow, like Santa Barbara. And one of the greatest struggles is, is that bringing an employee to this environment means that there's that acclimation period of time where they have to figure out how to live inside of this unique space, which is, that's a thing. And that's fine. But what is far better, in my opinion, in my experience has been, if you can find somebody who's already on yep. the ground, who's yep. already acclimated to yep. this, to this whatever unique environment that they have to deal with, housing, um, knowing where the grocery store is, just all of that kind of basic life skills yeah. uh, makes them an employee that you don't have to then, you can worry about them becoming a better uh, employee to your company rather than having to figure out how to live their life in this new town. So if you've got 1,500 people that you want to you know, hold on to a healthy portion of them, and it's the same thing with, with, with the college kids and losing the university yep. students, it's such a tragedy. We have this at UCSB as well, where we have this, you know, world-renowned research institution, yep. Division One, and 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 the vast majority of them just like sand through the fingers, just yep. leave and go back off to the world. And you think, God, you know, if only we could retain some of that brain trust. I think the best way to do that is enable the tech companies already there to have an unfair advantage mm -hmm. of how many qualified tech people at a fair right. rate they get. Because yeah. they will grow faster and more tech companies will come. Mm -hmm. So let's pull on that thread a little bit. Do you think that Amazon set, because they've made a serious commitment to- With the H2 thing? Yeah, yeah. they've made a big yep. commitment to, to San Luis Obispo County. Yep. Right, oh, and, and right. huge building and bringing people. It's like, let's go to where the people are. I mean, I think was there an attraction started. there? Amazon started in slow because they bought a startup that was tied to a Cal Poly professor. Mm. Oh, smart. Got it. But then, they, then they, could have, they could have just said, yeah. well, let's take all those people and move them. Yeah. They could have done that. But in this case, they said, no, there's something really interesting happening here. And now they've, they've doubled, tripled down. Oh, they, they have. And they're a great employer. And if you look at the type of people that end up at Amazon, they're the top-notch people out of Cal Poly who could have easily got a Bay Area job. Yeah, but the Bay Area is really expensive to live. It's true, but you got to think of yourself. You just graduated a from college. Yeah. They want to say, I had a dollar offer of X without um, even knowing what X is worth in the Bay Area. Uh, what we find is when they have kids, uh -huh. they want to come back. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because they get tired of it after about five to seven years. That rat race is a grind. But initially, it sounds great when they say, hey, I worked my tail off and I got this really high offer. Yeah. The other challenge in the Bay Area is as soon as you get your job, headhunters are trying to tempt you to go somewhere else. And so funny? as an employer, you don't have a loyal workforce. And slow, mm. you have a loyal workforce. Oh, yeah. Mm. Uh -huh. mm. So our... So are you looking at, let's go back to Diablo for a second, are you looking to how many of those 1,500 you can keep? I don't, my focus is to create a thousand additional tech jobs before a single Diablo person frees up. Hmm. Because that's doable. It's almost like you're, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna backfill the trapeze. That's it. You're, you're I'm going to say, Independent of what happens with the Diablo people, yeah. we're going to be fine. Right. So, so that's a political statement, wow, right? Yeah. Uh -huh. That's a political statement because you're saying it's about job creation, and right now there's a national conversation of, well, if we lower taxes or if we don't lower yeah. taxes, I want to yeah. get into that. Yeah. But but what they're saying is the the 
economic impact of that action is going to stimulate job cr creation where some will say there was a meeting where they had all these top CEOs and said, okay, if we lower your taxes, you're gonna hire more people and no one raised their hand, right? So that's possibly, but now what we're saying is there's, we still have a job creation challenge. Yeah. And so let's go look at that completely differently. I think one of the big challenges in San Luis Obispo County is I saw metrics, I think it was from Mike, that of all the counties in the United States, I think it was number six for the, the least affordable in terms of how expensive it is to live there tied to how many high paying jobs there are. So what happens in San Luis Obispo County, much more than Santa Barbara County, is there's a lot of underemployed people. Mm. They don't show up in unemployment, but you could have architects from Cal Poly working at restaurants because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. they want to stay. Right. But mm. there are a lot of jobs or tourism there. You know, if I look at all the companies around UCSP, there's a lot. You go around Cal there's Poly, 70, yeah. you don't see any of them. Is oh. that is that a is that a <laughs> oh really is that a geography thing? Like there's not there's not the physical, like like Santa Barbara's kind of has a benefit of Goleta being this kind of like flat, uh, you know, industrial receptive place. Is there is there just not the room to have warehouses in? My theory, Cal Poly doesn't have PhDs. They don't offer a PhD. Nope. And there's very few masters. So the big difference is a lot of companies, I believe, around UCSB are research yeah, that turn right. into companies. At right. Cal Poly, if you walk around at Cal Poly, you won't see very many people in their early 20s. They've already graduated. No it's really a bachelor's degree. There's some master's, but there's no PhD. So our challenge is you don't have people working six years on yeah, a topic right. that can turn into a company. Right. That's a difference between mm. Cal Poly and UCSB, which I think directly impacts. Do they know that? Have you told them that? <laughs> no, I'm serious. I'm serious. Like, like, like that so Break, well, breaking news. Well, you, heard, you heard it here. Like you, you, you know, like I feel like there's just like there's this prevailing <laughs> logic that kind of constantly gets thrown out over the bar, you know, and everybody just like like has a beer over it and goes, you know, if you know. But I don't think sometimes it's like somebody needs to tell the administration that this is a deficit that's been identified by business leaders like you, thought leaders in the community that say, hey, this you should aspirationally be headed towards... Is that foundationally challenging to do that? I don't know, because if you can... You can look at San Diego State. They have PhDs. So I know it's possible, but I don't know from a charter on a polytechnic university... Right, 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 right. ...if that is inherently not research-based. I mean, one big advantage that Cal Poly has of not being research-based... I never had a class at Cal Poly with more than 30 people in the class. And every faculty at Cal Poly is a teacher. I was never taught by a TA. So it's, it's the other end of the spectrum versus a big research university and how they teach. Yeah, there's definitely a, a deficit in, in, in at the research institutions where, where they supplement their faculty with underpaid TAs from the yeah. grad department. I mean, that's a classic Who, move. by the way, I'm going to bring it back because I just heard this last night uh, on this proposed tax mm -hmm. thing that's happening that what happens is they, the way that that compensation is given to those TAs and people that are there working on their graduate, studies, their yeah. graduate studies, that that all the tax benefit of that is all going away, <laughs> and they're going to have to claim all of that unpaid tuition Why? as income. Why? Why would you do that? Why would that make sense to anybody? I know, but that's I, I heard that. I had it's there's all these little tiny details. It's probably one of the line items of a document you didn't have time to review. By by the <laughs> right. <laughs> but it, but when it's, I speaking as a former speaking as a person who formerly held one of those positions, um, I was making less than minimum wage. Yeah. You know, making less than minimum wage uh, for several years uh, teaching But your tuition was handled. Well, but I mean, including tuition, right? You know, you yeah, add tuition. poverty. Yeah, and 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 it's imposed poverty because because this is that statement we realized. Figure out something you love to do, uh, and somebody will underpay you for it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing. It's like it's like yeah, you yeah. you you love yeah. it, and so you stick it out. You know, I had faculty that were literally making a thousand dollars an hour for lecture, versus my six and a half dollars. 
you know, like, I mean, like that. And dues be paid and so forth. But I mean, it's a real struggle. It's a real struggle. And, and to yeah. say like, oh, you know what? Here's here's where we can save some money. Let's just let's just cut the, the, the benefits out of education in that way. You're, yeah. you're not yeah. going to find it. I couldn't have done it if I had to pay taxes on my tuition waiver. I wouldn't have done it. Thanks. My experience in things like this is the pendulum will swing too far, yeah. and they'll realize yeah. that was wrong, and it'll yeah. swing back, and it doesn't dampen. Yeah, it just it just swings it just too far. Swinging. Yeah, I want to pull on another thread in the conversation, okay. which is um, before Patrick complains more about education. No, 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 no. I can I, you know, I I we run this. Whole, we should do a whole show. I kind of run this like Ted, and and mm. we don't talk about politics, we don't talk about religion, we don't talk about polarizing issues. We just it's we about just, ideas. We just talk about all of that. We just call it ideas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, though. Busted. <laughs> yeah. Totally busted. So um, let, let's take this field of inquiry for a second, which is. What happens to a community or a region when an industry leaves? And we can look in the south and we can say furniture left, went to China. Yeah. I was working with Greensboro and, yeah. you know, in the, in the, the triangle there. And you have all of the infrastructure that was left to rot when furniture left and went to China. Or look at the steel belt, the rust belt. Look at where uh, entire regions have been decimated financially because of their, I'm thinking of, of, of shoe making, of book publishing, we go on and on. And now we're saying nuclear is leaving and it's leaving a billion dollar hole. Just in, but just in, in slow. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, even, yeah, yeah. You know, right? Everywhere. I mean, that's not even, slow's not the only place. So now that, but we're smart enough about that to see that ahead of time. And they've done a lot of research on what happened in other locations. Uh. Right. What's nice, for example, is San Onofre, when that shut, yeah. there was no advance warning. Hmm. They had some cracks and they shut it down. What happened here is this is seven years in advance. It was hmm. PG&E saying it's no longer economic viable to new nuclear power based on the costs of renewables. Mm -hmm. So no one forced them to close. They closed because of economics. Yeah. Um, but PG&E is doing a nice job with this. They're working with Cal Poly on how they can use the facility for something else. Interesting. It is right on the ocean. It is beautiful. I had a tour of there last week. But when you I've never been there. Tell me about that. Oh, it's incredible. So when you first off. Avila Beach is a beautiful... Yeah, it is. This is seven and a half miles north of Avila Beach. So the weather is Morro Bay weather, which is kind of gloomy, yeah. and not Avila Beach, because they have to drive seven and a half miles from the entrance at Avila to get to Diablo Canyon. It's, that's remote? Yeah, it's very remote. But um, what's amazing when you go there, it's like, this is beautiful right. location. And so there's two towers for where the containment area is for the two reactors. But right in front of it is this giant building. But when you go into this giant building, it only has two things in it. There's two steam turbines that are so powerful. It's one million horsepower wow. of wow. just wow. steam. But they said those two steam turbines can do 10% of the power for the state of California. No kidding. But it's just... But that's still more expensive that's than key. solar and wind. And because of laws of what percent needs to be renewable right. and, and what's... Right. So I, I think PG&E, from my perspective, is really saying, what can we do together? What can we do together? We're meeting with them constantly. Who's the public affairs guy for that? Tom Jones. Got it. Um, but, but I think at all levels, it really is, what are we going to do together? And there's meetings with Cal Poly and PG&E so Give me an idea of something that would, like, what would be the uh, best and highest use? <sighs> My opinion? Yeah. Some well, type you're, of you're tech park with housing. Oh. It, they've got the space. Um, a utopian city <gasps> filled with imagination. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> Flying cars. When, when, you go, when you go there, you go, wow, think, 
think 15 years from now, what could be here? And also, for the seven and a half mile drive from Avalon. I was just going to say, Avalon, can they fix that? But that's just their buffer. So all that buffer goes away. That was because you had to have a buffer. Oh, so yeah, now they, could, yeah, yeah. they could probably make it so it's you can just, get there in a it's heartbeat. Just, if you think like an entrepreneur of right. what's possible, right. you go, right. oh, right. Right. wow. Yeah. Right, right. So who's calling uh, Bezos to say, hey. H2. <laughs> put it right there. 50,000. Yeah, 50, I'd be on the horn to him. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, I think it'll take too long before he could build anything there. Oh, yeah, that's true. The dismantling oh. will take a period Because you, you have to think 15 years from now or 20 years from now, yeah. which takes some imagination. Yeah, it does. As opposed to, well, what can you do next year? Because it'll be six years before they're really starting the decommissioning process. But right. as an entrepreneur, I said, I need to spend time now to just get the flywheel spinning yep. for other things because it takes time. Yeah. So that, that, that part's fascinating. What other, again, back to this question of when an industry leaves an area, what other things are you guys thinking about up there? Well, I think, I think what we want is more tech jobs in the area. Our city council, our mayor, are very, very open to the right kind of growth now. Um, housing, for example. One of our biggest problem with tech firms right now is the trailing spouse. <laughs> That's the technical term. Because what... Uh, <laughs> it sounds when, so pathetic, no, though. Well, but when, it, there's no, not when, a second job, see, a the, second company for that. That's what Mike said, is like... Okay, we've identified that <coughs> Patrick is our guy. Yep. We're bringing Patrick. We know it would be Courtney, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We're bringing, Perfect. We're bringing so we're Courtney. bringing Courtney yeah. to San Luis Obispo. Yeah. And what are we going to do with Patrick? Right? So we've got to find a job for him. And, and, we, and you could even say, well, 30 minutes south is Santa Maria. So I can include Santa Maria Spousal in my economic, hunter, yeah. you know. But what did you call that? The, the trailing the, spouse. Oh my gosh! There, now there's a whole. That's a, right, okay. that's a mini series. But what's your answer, Dan? What's the plan? More companies. If we had five types of companies like Amazon mm-hmm. tied to tech, we'd be fine. Tell me what those five are. Well, right now we have two big ones. Okay. We, we have they Amazon are. and MindBody. Right. Um, but when you get, if both. And spouse, big to you means. Over a thousand employees. Well, not even big in terms of size, but in compensation. You know, assume that you and your spouse both had pretty darn good jobs in the in Bay Area St. Lu- or St. Louis. Sure. Yes. So we have someone co-working in the hot house now, whose husband got a job in advancement, and she is a a marketing person for a very large company, but it's like, where is she going to get a job in San Luis Obispo tied to her background in marketing? She's going to have to work remotely. She's going to have to fly out. It's what you just said. Or start another company, but I think the three of us... That's not in her wheelhouse. Well, it's hard to start a company. It's not It sounds easy, (laughs) but most entrepreneurs I talked to who finally were successful said if they knew how hard it was going to be at the start, they wouldn't have done it. Well, and, and, and think about <laughs> it's like giving a TED talk. Charles Vinnick, he was our opener this year. He he's, uh, runs the he's the new CEO of the Whale Sanctuary, and he is a personal favorite. He says, "Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll go do that. I'd love to do that." I said, "You got to get your story on stage." And then a week before he, at rehearsal, he looks at me, and goes, "If I had any idea of how much work, and we're talking about an 18-minute talk, it's a lot right? of work. It's do you feel, I mean, just a sidebar, do you feel that it's it's uh, incumbent upon you when you're meeting with these bright-eyed, starry, you know, like, oh, I've got this great idea. Oh, my gosh, Dan, it's going to be, I'm going to yeah. change the world. Uh, do you, do, uh, how much of a reality buffer blanket do you want to throw on them, and when do you do it? That, that is a great question. <laughs> the reality blanket, that's what we're going to do. We're going to call that. I, I think one of the... One of the key terms I try to emphasize to them, it's supposed to be hard. It's supposed to be hard. Oh, it's supposed to be hard. So yeah. reset the expectation. Yeah, because I, when they tell me something that sounds simple, I said, well, you don't have a business then. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to work through something that's kept other people from doing it. 
and so barrier to good point right right and so we use the lean startup methodology and we force people to do their business model canvas and what i found just in mentoring people who even aren't in the hothouse there's this book called running lean which is a a book on the business model canvas but it's really well done because it it just tells you through stories of how this person used it the author's name is ash mara but what I'd tell people, I said, okay, we'll talk over coffee for an hour. Mm-hmm. And I said, read this book. And when you get your idea down to one page, we'll talk more. 95% don't do it. Is See, that I, I, I'm going to suggest that the idea gets down to a sentence, by the way. But, but is that because right. – w- w- so, what's, so what's the hold of that? What is impeding them from doing that? Is it they're not good at follow through or what? I think what it is, is they hear too many instant successes. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yes. And they assume, oh, Mm. everyone's going to want to buy this. And what we (laughs) require people in the hothouse to do is to do 200 customer interviews. Mm Yeah. And you see the pivots because I actually worry more about companies that are self-funded Oh, because you just because they look in the mirror, yeah, and they said this is a great idea. But when you get money from someone else other than friends and family, Mm -hmm. (laughs) there's an accountability there, and then there's the harsh reality of, hmm. In my business model canvas, what is fact versus opinion, and a lot of what we do is get you to shift. What's your most risky assumption, and what are you going to do in the next week to know if that's fact versus opinion? Because so much of it's Just opinion. The, there you go. There was that, that buried pearl <laughs> right there. We're, how many were 36 <laughs> minutes in. Yeah. 36 minutes in is the time uh, when you realized it. I, there's uh, in, in, in fiction writing and screenwriting and all that conversation, they say um, uh, go into your script and pull out the one element, the one scene that, that you wrote the rest of the script mm-hmm. just to have. And if you don't, if that's the linchpin, if that's the thing that pivots the whole, so if you go to your idea, your business plan, and you say, okay, but what if I didn't have this in it, and the rest of the business plan falls apart, then you probably didn't have a business in the first place. I think it's true, because what, what's the beauty in this business model canvas, for people who are listening who don't understand, it's, it's think about your business plan in like seven different ways of looking at it, but you only get Twitter number of characters to explain how mm. are we going to make money. We call it talking in tweets. Yeah. yeah, you talk in tweets, but I remind the people that I mentor who are frustrated with this. <laughs> I say, Mark Twain said something once. He said, I was going to write you a short <clears throat> note, but I didn't have time, so I wrote you a long one. Yep, <laughs> yep. And... You know, when you said earlier to get it down to one sentence, yeah. you know, it's Uber for we, we, we work with people to get to that. But what I find is entrepreneurs who are new at it, they totally focus on two of the seven areas. Mm. Is it the same two? No, it's just kind of whatever is comfortable. And Can you, I, I, you know, you have to tell me what the seven areas are. Oh, well, this will be a good test. There's <laughs> things on, like on, your, your value proposition. Okay. Who are your key relationships? What are your revenue streams? What's your unfair advantage? Um, customers. So it, it basically gets to the point of, what Cus- customers need? was five. You still owe me two. Yeah. So it's dot, 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 and then <laughs> dot, dot, dot. <laughs> uh, nice, nice Perry. Nice grumpy, Perry there. Gr- uh, grumpy and Doc. But, but if, you, if you think up at a level, I, my favorite one is your unfair advantage. Yep. Is, okay. Because what's a challenge, I've mentored at Startup Weekend for many years, and now I'm judging that. But in general, the college students pitch businesses for college students. Yeah. And college students don't have any money. Right. And so... <laughs> <laughs> you just you could save so much time if that was just like, hey, everybody, just gather around right at the beginning here. Let's just see two things to know. But but it's, it's getting them to think a little broader yeah. on so their business. Yeah. yeah. But I think also... Um, when you think what's your unfair advantage, that goes back into what's hard. Is, right. Is, I'm willing to do the hard thing. That's my right. Is no one else had access to this data. You know, yeah. the company, 
that I had after HP, we had to use the Freedom of Information Act to get all this data on what were the most expensive 401k plans. And then we sold that information back to Vanguard and so on. But it was painful to get that data. But if everyone had it, it would be a commodity and you wouldn't sell a company tied right. to it. It's it's a value. It's the back to the value proposition, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, it, you were talking about working hard and I was thinking, I don't know why the word grist for the mill came up in my thing, but you know, it's like, we've got to grind stuff. You know, you've got to yeah. grind through it to get through it. And I, uh, when I'm mentoring, I, you know, we talk about what well, does a person have passion? And, and to me, that means there's an, this, uh, unrelenting flow of energy I'm going to pursue. I'm going to get through the work because we're going to have highs and lows and the lows are going to be, oh God, this is ever going to stop. You mentioned someone who's a role model for that, which is Cameron Weezy. Yes. He will not give up. I know. He's awesome. He's, it's just grit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we talked a little tangentially. When we talked about the 940 people applied, we did a low-tech way of <laughs> handling that. Well, we did a lot of phone calls. Um, our grant lets us do two cohorts. So when we do the second cohort, there's a really cool AI-based assessment tool on who is a good fit for a job without even talking to the person that asks all these questions. It's called KORU, K-O-R-U. And it goes back to what one of you said, is the Bay Area companies, like if... Airbnb has 20 openings. They're going to get 15,000 applicants. Yeah, yeah. They use Koru. And what Koru does, and there's wow. seven attributes, but don't ask me the seven. I'll give you some. Right. Grit. Um, right, right. Polish. Right, right, right. And then right. what they do is you actually tune from looking at who is successful at that job. And then when you apply... It says, are you this or this, this or this? And you don't know what the right answer is. Because Can I jump in a minute? My, my brother was a firefighter and applied for one of these 3,000 positions. The top 100, he was, in the, he was the top three of the top 100 who all scored perfect. Yeah. And that's what you have. You have 940 applicants and probably 75 of them, yep. 95 of them all scored perfect. And so what they ended up doing was is they did psychological tests to determine which ones would fit the firehouse. Which goes back to what uh, Dan said earlier, which is we want people that everyone wants to, to work, work with. with. Right, right. Not is that the secret to success right there? It's not just you want to work with that are also very competent, mm -hmm. you know, because mm -hmm. some people are great to work with, but they're that so guy we at want Gilbert competent that people. Yeah. We want competent people. Yeah. Yeah. It's like um, I know we we run a mastermind and, and we're talking to people. We'll say, OK, here's that thing you're that you want to do. What are you building? You're like, what are you building? Tell me what you're building. And it's like. And who's helping you build it? Who's your tribe? Who's your who's, team? Who's your yeah. team? Who are yeah. those people that you that are going to help you get there? Because you can't get there just flat out. Can't get there on your own. As much as these people want to think they can, they can't. Um, they, you know, in, in the hothouse environment, I love that. You know, what are all the things? There's nutrients. There's air. There's yeah. the right culture. There's the that I'm growing the seed. I mean, the, you can take that link metaphor. Is the reason it could die on the vine. Whatever the the one problem. Whatever that, that one thing. Oh. We forgot to accommodate for wind, yeah. you know, or whatever that thing was. Dan, I'm I'm looking at my watch here, and we have evaporated, boom, just like that through our time. I appreciate and you inviting me. This was fun. This, um, I mean, I feel like I could, we could keep talking. And we we had talked earlier about how 805 Connect might be able to help you in this effort. So yes. that offer is still out there on the table. You know, we've got listeners now through the show. We have listeners all over the world. We've got, we have connections. And I'd love to see this model get exported or see how we can help you. I think we're going to do more of that because when we got our apprenticeship program certified by the state, we actually put in to have it be available in two-thirds of the counties in California. Mm. We picked all the higher. Mm. So we're going to actually be doing this with the same formula that's worked so well and slow outside of San Luis Obispo County. And that will be really interesting because we really are piloting it 
below the radar in San Luis Obispo, but what we did in San Luis Obispo could work in the Bay Area. So let me suggest something because we, we, one of the things we've learned through podcasting, it is a phenomenally effective method to literally get in someone's head. Yeah. Right. Literally. Yeah, a captive that, audience. Right. <laughs> and um, maybe take this back with you to think about what if we were to do 12 episodes. Oh, interesting. About how this works. So if we take, so let, let's presume there is a methodology yeah, here. there is. It's a process. There totally is, right? I mean, no, there is. Your business model. I mean, of course there is, right? And we build that into 12 conversations yeah. that we do with the right people. And then that becomes the outreach, the training, I like the, that. all of it. You like that? A lot. Okay. A lot because we, apprenticeship, I think will become bigger and bigger and bigger. But there's a lot of education of what it even means. Because mm. if you go to a place like Switzerland, the typical person in Switzerland doesn't go to a four-year degree immediately, and their unemployment's almost zero. Because everyone is trained in a skill, and then some percentage go on to their four-year degree. So we want to do similar things. This apprenticeship we talked with, we're actually working within San Luis Obispo to do those 14 weeks of training with the high school students. Right, of course. So when they graduate from high school, they can start with another and, company. And I would purport that those early seeds on career vectors are planted in the fourth grade. Yeah. <laughs> no, because you're, you're picturing it's yourself parents, in your future self. My parents, friends, the yeah. the people that I'm around, and all of That's that true. stuff, and and the, no, there's a lot of science around that because I've done a bunch of early childhood stuff, and like now there's even people looking at pre-K and what can we do to make sure. Back to our greenhouse thing, is uh, am I how am I doing on the soil? How am I doing on the nutrients? How am I doing to prepare when the seed drops yeah. that it finds fertile ground? And and I'm. Looking at my new father over here, who's who's got a three, just not pick, even a three month old. I was just trying to pick her a career. I was thinking, yeah, I got to get her a career before <laughs> she's in six months. Gotta we got to we got to grow all the other stuff. Astronaut, One last data point I didn't highlight that I think is really interesting. In our apprenticeship, we took two paths. One was IT security, and the other one is automated software testing, which is really your oh, back man, door. Oh man, I tell you, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. here's what's awesome. I mentioned earlier the average age is 31 for uh, the software testers, 47% women. Great. Because what we did is we said it was your ticket into tech. We didn't call it software. We didn't call it IT. Tech sounded interesting. And then once they got into it, they got deeper. But what was interesting is every one of those people wants to be a developer. So <laughs> if you think about having an ability to get more women in tech, not jumping straight to, I'm going to make them a developer really quick. It's like, well, get them sitting in R&D in a key role, yep, and then yep, they yep, can yep, continue yep, yep, yep. to Find increase the their training. Yeah. Dan, this has been a phenomenal conversation, and our listener has been waiting for this part, which is when, uh, as we wrap a bow around this, um, we now have as many episodes as we had as we started in the beginning. Someone has listened to another show. They come out of that and they're looking at the back catalog saying, oh, what do I want to listen to next? So the title becomes critically important to what they're going to pick next. So we always give it to the guests to say, well, what would we call this? Though I think, sir, yeah. uh, that the You've title, heard it, you think? I heard the title. All right. Well, let him try. See what you got. What, what should we call this show? I'm assuming you're going to do screening for attitude, training for aptitude. Little long for SEO. Okay. So, what was yours? Because right? that's what I, you yeah, know, yeah, but yeah. that's my that's my subhead. Oh, that's what, true. Because what happens is you have a title. Yeah, I get it. And the Google looks at your H. I'm going to get a geeky for a second. Looks at your H1, which is top headline, then your H2, and those are where it pulls its keywords out, right? So that's what's, H2. what's your H1. Your ticket into tech. Nice. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That was perfect. I mean, because yeah. that's really what you're talking no, about. I, I had my son come up with that name who worked for Apple for four years. Cause that explains it. it. It wasn't an adult in their 50s idea. It was something that sounded cooler. 
I love that. You're taking yeah, it into tech. There you go. Yay. Uh, so, Dan, thank you so much You're for welcome. making the drive. And uh, I'll follow up with you on Perfect. Uh, the idea of a podcast I like the series, series a lot. right? Because uh, that's it. Uh, what we've learned, we're, we're now involved in five different shows, is that it is a great way to tell the story to an audience that is mobile and is commuting and uh, is listen and wants to learn and listen to learn. They're not going to read, yeah, and they're not going to watch videos, yeah. So, th- but they will listen, and you, you know? can drip the information and not have to, right, to make it so high level that you don't get the essence. And it's conversational it. yeah. because the idea is if I could have a cup of coffee with you and listen yeah. to it, I'm a more receptive audience. Dan, thank you so You're much welcome. for joining Thanks us. Thanks for having me. I also want to thank California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services and our podcasting partner, Pullstring Press. If you're interested in partnering with our podcast, drop us a note to partner at 805connect.com. We'd love to hear from you. Patrick, Yeah. how can our listener help us? Well, you know, uh, every single one of these episodes that we put out, almost 200 now, um, come with a little uh, rating. And, and Yeah, they do. Yeah, and so uh, the better those ratings are and the more time that there's uh, reviews about each individual show, that's how people find uh, the next one to listen to. So do us a favor, go in there, rate, write, review, uh, let us know what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, uh, and push us towards uh, getting better shows uh, every week. And, and maybe the side note here uh, is... Uh, Find a young woman and push her into tech. Give her, yeah. a, t- give her a ticket to tech um, because uh, there is absolutely no, uh, th- there's no genetic uh, issues about typing on a keyboard. <laughs> there's no, there's no <laughs> advantages per se <laughs> that you could argue biological advantages. Absolutely, I love that, and I would love to hear from you, dear listener, if you've got an idea for a show. You have someone interesting we should be talking to or someone who can add some value. The, uh, our show is 100% driven by your suggestions. I don't even know 200 people to have in here on the show myself. So I, I meet all these great people as a result of those emails. Drop me a note to mark at 805connect.com. Thank you in advance. And until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for 805 Conversations.